Hey, what is up, everybody? Alex Kapitko here, and this is the Centered from Reality podcast. What's today? It's Saturday. Uh, I was supposed to do this episode yesterday, but as I was starting to prep, some things came up, and I was like, you know, let's just wait another day and see what happens with Kevin McCarthy. And to my surprise, good thing I'm not a betting man, I thought it would take weeks, or at least a couple more days, and McCarthy is speaker. I'm going to get into that later, going to kind of tear him apart, give you my thoughts on what's next. But first, I'll just say it's a cold Saturday here. I did get a run in. It was not my favorite run ever. My hands got cold. It's gloomy outside. (laughs) Typical Chicago. And uh, luckily, I have a Rick Steves on. It's his How to Cruise special where he starts in Barcelona, goes to Athens, Greece. It's a good cruise episode. He said, (laughs) it's a great line. I hope I don't offend anybody. But he said, he said, cruises are for the newlyweds, the well-fed or the nearly dead. And I thought that was very fitting. It sums up exactly why I don't like cruises. And I'm just watching this right now going, I don't know if I could ever do a cruise. But anyways, not to offend anyone who likes cruises to each their own, but it is nice having this beach scenery in the background as I record this while it is about, you know, 20 something outside. It's Saturday evening. So yeah. Anyways, I will start by saying happy Orthodox Christmas to our Eastern European friends. And I'll start by saying also that You know, Russia, I mentioned a few days ago, called for that ceasefire to celebrate Orthodox Christmas. Zelensky and the United States have both said no, they've rejected it. Putin is pissed off. He's saying they're violating the ceasefire, even though it was only Putin's side that actually called for the ceasefire, like it wasn't mutually agreed on. But anyways, a lot of people think it was just a tactical ploy to refuel and prepare. And so, yeah, I mean, I'm glad they didn't listen to his demands. I don't know why they would. There's no reason to listen to Putin at this point. But, you know, just things things go on in that case. But anyways, with all of the craziness also happening right now, I almost forgot, just because time is is weird, I almost forgot that as of yesterday, because today's the 7th, yesterday the 6th, it was two years ago since the storming of the Capitol on January 6th. And... I do remember it like it was yesterday. I don't know how it's been two years. I remember being out on a Nordic ski with my dad in uh, Tahoe Donner up in Truckee. We were, you know, nice morning ski. I think we left for the ski when they were starting the certification. And of course, you know, there were some Republican congressmen and women objecting. But we left. Oh, it's just a standard procedure. Pence can't do anything. It's over. And we ran into one of my dad's old work, work friends. We don't have phone service, but I guess he'd left after we did. And he, or maybe he did have phone service, I don't know. But as we were talking, the guy asked if we saw what was happening at the Capitol. And I just said, oh, oh yeah, I saw they were just, you know, holding the, holding the certification hearings. And the guy then was like, no, 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 there's people like storming the Capitol. And it's kind of a nightmare and it's kind of chaos right now. So we skied back to the house, flipped on the TV, and we literally just sat on the couch for the next three hours, just watching all of it unfold. And That, again, and I've said this before, so I won't stay on it very long, is that at the time it seemed like that would be the moment that everything would change, right? And it seemed like that was the moment where people would be like, maybe this whole Trumpism thing was a little bit too much. Maybe this went just a little bit too far. And, of course, I then (laughs) posted on Facebook, which is never a good idea, but I was angry watching what was happening. And I did get some comments from people saying like, oh, this was Antifa or what did you expect them to do when Biden stole the election? And 
all these Facebook arguments started spanning up, ever, popping up everywhere. We did a podcast that night that was on, live on Twitch, and we had people calling us, you know, out and stuff. And I'm like, oh boy, this is we're pretty embedded, we're pretty entrenched in our views at this point, and. I don't think we've learned that much from that day because we still have election deniers in Congress. A lot of the people that are actually opposing McCarthy, election deniers. It just doesn't seem like people were really held accountable. Except for, of course, like the 900 so far rioters who are in jail. But it just doesn't seem like the actual people that did it have been really, really held accountable, right? Congress still has a lot of them. McCarthy's now speaker, and he's an election denier. Even though he did, you know, milquetoast Lee, if that's a word, say he wanted to, you know, remove Trump. He didn't. And so in a new article from Peter Weiner, um, he's in The Atlantic, he writes about some of the new revelations from Hope Hicks, you know, big Trump staffer. And Weiner writes here in quotes, We all look like domestic, or, sorry, yeah, yeah, yeah. No, I, I said it right. We all look like domestic terrorists now. Those are the words of Hope Hicks, one of Donald Trump's most loyal aides, in a text she sent to Ivanka Trump's chief of staff on January 6th. They are, they are fitting words for the Trump presidency. And the article just reminds us that all of these events were caused by Trump, and even though he's going away, the people that really boosted him up are still there, you know. And he's frantic and deranged, and he made every effort to upend our democracy, and... The violence, the bloodshed, all of that was just a bonus. And, you know, there's a good article in the BBC as well that discusses how the riots on January 6th actually going ahead to kind of tie this into Kevin McCarthy, how the riots actually might have doomed McCarthy's hopes to be speaker or at least his easy chance of being speaker. And what I mean here is we have to remember for a moment that you know, McCarthy took to the floor of the House to say, in quotes, Trump bears responsibility for the violence. Like, not that strong of words, let's be honest. I mean, because he did. <laughs> but, of course, that was, you know, a big shot in the face to the people that, you know, are sucking Trump's you-know-what. And he said that the attempt to disrupt the certification of Biden's victory was undemocratic, un-American, and criminal. And the BBC writes here, in quotes, while he did not support Mr. Trump's impeachment, he backed a formal censure of the president. He was also telling fellow Republicans that he would urge the president to resign. And so I think in hindsight, this kind of sums up what may have irritated people like Lauren Boebert and Matt Gates, who see Trump as the greatest president ever, and they see McCarthy as a shapeshifter, you know, because then he goes down to kiss the ring after January 6th you know, what, about two weeks after it happened. And this just showed some that he calls out Trump and then he meets with Trump. And does he really, he's not really a Trumpist. He just sees power from Trump. And I think that's why, what, two days ago, I believe it was, Trump puts out that statement saying, get this craziness done and just go with McCarthy. And Boebert's like, no, I think McCarthy needs to step down. Like, that's something new that you don't really expect, right? And so... January 6th was really the turning point, I think, for a lot of people. I'm sure if you talk to Kevin McCarthy, he probably wished that he said some different things, either went all in on supporting Trump and never said anything, or just completely stepped away. And, like, the worst thing for Kevin McCarthy now... Sorry, taking a sip. Um, the worst thing for Kevin McCarthy is that, like, Liz Cheney, you know, she's been voted out. Kinzinger voted out. Those two can at least say they lost, but they have moral values left and they stood for something. Kevin McCarthy knows that he's unpopular. 
he knows that he's a shell of his formal self, but also he knows that he didn't do anything to be a hero. Like, at least he got the speakership now, but that's about it. And so, yeah, for the rest of the episode, though, I just really do want to rant about the news that happened last night. So moving away from January 6th, because tragic, um, the you know, thank God there were people on both sides of the aisle who were willing to stand up because if some of those people didn't stand up I don't know what would have happened so I'm always thankful to know that there are brave people out there even during the chaos of the Trump era also it's just a tragedy and a shame about the deaths of some of the police officers and others involved and uh, hopefully one day there will be more accountability but it doesn't look like that's the case but anyways so at about 11 p.m. last night I was on the couch Texting some friends, binging Ginny and Georgia, which is a great show, by the way. Uh, don't judge me. I have strange taste in shows, but it's an amazing show. Very emotionally lifting. But anyways, I was watching that, texting friends, telling one of my buddies, I'm like, I don't think, <laughs> I honestly don't think uh, McCarthy's going to be speaker for a long time or they're going to put someone else in because it's just getting exhausting. And as I'm saying that, I literally get a notification that's like, McCarthy finally gets gavel. And I'm going, oh, wow, like, that's somewhat surprising, actually, based on how everything's been going. And yeah, so at about 11 p.m. last night, at least my time, he becomes speaker. And the rest of this episode, I'm just going to kind of do part me ranting, part my thoughts, thoughts, part a roast of Kevin McCarthy, thoughts on what's next. So before we get into McCarthy, though, I've, I've been wanting to talk about this for a while because... I think it's crucial, and I should add first that I, I really wanted McCarthy to lose, not because I wanted some of the other options to be speaker. I, d- I didn't agree with the bomb throwers like the Matt Gateses or whoever else you want to talk about. They're just anarchists and nihilists who don't really care. They just want to bring down the system. They don't really actually want to solve anything. But I wanted McCarthy to lose because I think the process in the House just based on how legislation is passed, is kind of becoming less and less democratic and it's not effective. And basically, just to keep it simple, it seems like the process of passing legislation is just not how it used to be. Instead of like reading the bills, deliberating what is in them, and then debating what should be changed, now you have, for example, like the speaker or the whip or the minority leader They'll just meet with other top committee officials behind closed doors and kind of put together different demands into some giant omnibus bill, some giant spending bill that kind of is almost like a Frankenstein monster. And I'm not like totally libertarian, but I understand these concerns, right? And for example, like the recent omnibus bill, it has everything from like Ukraine funding to NATO aid to non-defense discretionary funding, which you basically just need to check the box that it keeps going. It also has extreme weather relief funds to in, for, for different counties in the United States to, uh, you know, Veterans Affairs funding. I'm not saying any of these things are bad, but there's a lot <laughs> there's a lot of things in these bills that have nothing in common, and it seems like they're just kind of lumped together. And one could understand why it would be kind of irritating to just have some of these omnibus bills passed without separating out the different details and debating them and actually having each congressional member read the information. And for the reasons I'm briefly going over, I think that there is a good reason for the process to kind of go back because it seems somewhat closed right now. Like it seems like more of a power dynamic where the party falls in line. And I think that 
if the Republicans were good actors that were against McCarthy, and if they actually cared about the process, then I would say appoint one of them. Because, yeah, I can understand why they just don't want the party to fall in line. It's same with why Pelosi, in a sense, was not always popular with the more far-left people. Because she also was more of a just go along, go along, like follow behind, you know? And I think people are starting to get a little bit sick of that. And so I think opening up the process would be a good idea. Instead of, you know, instead of having these party members just tell how it should be, each member should have to read the bills and spend the time actually knowing what's happening. And Justin Amash, a former congressman, anti-Trump libertarian, he left the Republican Party after condemning Trump, no longer in Congress, of course, because he condemned the glory leader, you know. He's someone I, I do like. I don't agree with all of them, and bless his soul, <laughs> because I think he's kind of naive in this case. But he apparently was trying to get people to nominate him as speaker. Because we have to remember that you don't have to be in Congress to be speaker. Like, if, if anyone in Congress knew who I was, they could just nominate me. Like, Matt Gates, I think it was yesterday or the day before, nominated Trump. He got one vote, by the way, so I wonder how he feels about that. But anyways, Justin Amash was trying to be speaker. He even flew to D.C. and sat there during all these votes McCarthy was doing, hoping to be speaker. I thought this was never going to happen because our politics is so broken that something sensible, having like a neutral speaker who's not with either party, that would make too much sense. So of course that wasn't going to happen, but one can hope. And he, he was talking in an interview on a podcast I listened to, and he said he thought this would work because he's not in any party, and maybe rank-and-file members would support someone like him because he could bring back the opening of the process back to individual members, but... Basically, the limelight wouldn't be on anyone, any leadership in either party, so there wouldn't be blame being thrown because he's a neutral arbitrator in the middle. So he was talking about the idea of being a neutral speaker. And I like the idea in theory. He argued that since the process has been closed to all members, this has actually kind of allowed people like Lauren Boebert and Marjorie Taylor Greene and whoever else, Madison Cawthorn, to flourish, right? They've flourished because... The process is closed. They don't have to actually have a say in what's happening. So they just become actors. And basically, like Amash says, um, something to the effect of when you can't legislate and you don't spend your time in office actually reading bills, you end up just becoming a performance artist that is focused on theatrics and kind of the showmanship of politics, which we see a lot of these new Republicans and to some extent Democrats too are really good at. And I think Amash just rightfully notes that if Congress people had to actually read the bills, which are sometimes like 700 pages, they wouldn't have time to act out like nut jobs, right? It's kind of like people start acting out, children especially start acting out when they don't have anything to do. And I think Marjorie T Taylor Greene is kind of a child, so it makes sense. And even David Frum in The Atlantic has an article from earlier in the week, and he argued that basically a defeat for McCarthy could be good for the United States and the GOP in particular. And he just talks about how the extremists are trying to take over the party. He's giving in to them. It's even though they want the process opened up, it won't be. They're just bomb throwing and they want everyone to fall in line with them. And, you know, maybe they need a lesson. Of course, again, like I said, Amash was too naive. He wasn't nominated. Other people were naive to think that maybe Democrats would put forth a moderate or... Fred Upton, a, another retired congressman, might be a moderate option thrown out. That didn't happen because, as I said last night, as I was watching Ginny and Georgia, four episodes to be exact, I finally got the news that McCarthy won the speaker's role, and here we are.
Of course, he did give away everything, minus the house itself. So he'll be speaker in name only. But I guess if you think about McCarthy or know anything about McCarthy, I think that's all he really wanted anyways, was just to have that on his resume. So moving on to the actual events. Basically, Russell Berman writes in The Atlantic, having at long last put down a rebellion from within his own party, Kevin McCarthy is now House Speaker. He finally has the gavel he's long coveted, but the job he secured after 14 consecutive drubbings is not the one he envisioned. Last night, he suffered one more indignity to get it, perhaps the most stunning in a week's worth of humiliations. McCarthy had to literally beg his most hated Republican foe, Representative Matt Gates of Florida, for the deciding vote, and a fight nearly broke out on the House floor. But after 14 failed votes, it was finally over. I think, I think there's something very poetic, maybe darkly poetic, about Kevin McCarthy having to beg Matt Gates for the final vote and then a fight almost breaking out. It, it's just lovely. The whole thing is just lovely. And I don't usually condone violence. And there wasn't really violence. They said a fight almost broke out. So we're all good. But I think the best part was this video I saw when McCarthy just walks over to Gates, speaks to him for a few minutes, and then kind of puts his head down and slumps back to his chair. You can tell McCarthy's done. He knows he's sold everything. And then after he does this, there's a furious representative named Mike Rogers from Alabama who had to be physically restrained from lunging at Gates. Now, I, I, I didn't, I'll admittedly say I didn't watch that last night. I was watching Jenny and Georgia, as I've said multiple times now. But uh, from what I understand is it wasn't actually a fight, but the photo of him almost trying to lunge at him just is insane. So... The fact that Gates put up this whole fight and then turned out to be the final vote for McCarthy just shows me that Gates never really cared about like anything substantial. For him, it was just a rehearsal for Newsmax or whatever else is next. I, I feel like this guy just wanted to be the final vote. This guy's just an ass, so it doesn't surprise me. So anyways, it took 15, 15 different ballots. McCarthy's 1 and 14, always a good number. And it was actually less than I was expecting, my, my standards were getting pretty low. And the funny thing is, is that even on this last ballot, McCarthy didn't actually get all the people he wanted. Basically, all of the remaining GOP opponents all voted present. And this allowed McCarthy to clear the majority threshold without all of their support, and then he could become speaker. So look, like, he did become speaker but none like a lot of these people opposing him didn't actually still vote for him so it's kind of funny and i think the best thing about all of this is that mccarthy's now going to have to alienate the moderates that were supporting him the whole time to now appease the nut jobs he also gave up practically everything to do this like the way i think i heard someone say it was that he literally sold his soul at a discount price and still did not get a good bargain and as russell berman notes in quotes McCarthy is reportedly guaranteeing the far-right House Freedom Caucus enough seats on the Rules Committee to give the group an effective veto over most legislation that comes up for a vote. He's committing the party to pursue steep and in all likelihood politically unpopular budget cuts while ensuring a partisan brawl over the debt ceiling that could damage the nation's economy. And of course, yeah, I mean, the debt ceiling thing is all on things we've already spent, right? We have to remember that. And so the irritating part about that is that this is just going to hurt the economy and our credibility around the world. 
Anyways, though, it's also ironic because all of these policies that McCarthy's kind of going to allow them to do are reminiscent of the chaotic Tea Party era. And they're also not like this America first economic populism that Trump and his supporters say they're about. Really, a lot of this just seems like tax cuts and tax cuts and budget cuts that are reminiscent of the Koch brothers. They're the Koch brothers, right? Just neo-capitalist shit, nothing really else to talk about. And also, this means that McCarthy is going to have to kick his allies out of these committees. And I, I believe I read that, I, like, that a lot of his moderate allies walked out after this deal was made, which is understandable. Sorry, I got a loud vehicle out there. I think my, I think my favorite thing, too, here is that McCarthy made a deal that basically will allow him <laughs> to lose his speakership if any Republican, just one Republican, demands a vote to out him. And then they do a no-confidence vote, and then he can be gone. So basically, if one person wants him out, a veto will be held. A vote will be held, not a veto. And this is something that Pelosi never allowed when she was in office. She said it would be pointless and dangerous, and she actually had a better understanding of the position, I think. And this just shows to me that McCarthy is quite dull, and he just cares about power, which is not really great for someone who's going to become speaker, like, what, third in line for the presidency. Not good. Not good at all. So now, looking ahead, it's going to be probably not great for Republicans, though they'll blame Democrats, because that's just kind of the circle we always see. But basically, I think all they're going to be able to agree on or do is hold Biden accountable, right? Like, they're going to investigate Hunter Biden. They're going to try to impeach Alejandro Mayorkas. Like, stuff that... It doesn't help anybody, and I've, I've gone extensively into this, so I'm going to stop there. But also then you have their tax cuts, which are probably not going to be popular with the American people. The budget cuts. Basically, it's like a cut. It, like Basically, they want to do something where if you're going to put in any new spending, you have to cut something else. And also, the optics just aren't good because you have Mitch McConnell and Biden in Kentucky passing a bridge. So while the Senate is making deals, the House can't even get along amongst themselves. And I think it's just going to be bad. And just some final things I wrote down last night while I was on the couch thinking about this. The first one I wrote is, as, as McCarthy got the gavel, oh, actually, I'll, I'll add some context here first. So there's a picture that came out last night of him holding the gavel, kind of up close to his head. And I wrote, as McCarthy got the gavel, he said that he never gives up. These are interesting words coming from the guy who gave up everything just to hold his gavel. Here you see Kevin using the gavel to try and wake himself up from this nightmare which it will be. The other thing I wrote, McCarthy was willing to sell everything but the literal House of Representatives to become Speaker. Now he's conceded almost everything to the nut jobs. If he's willing to do that, what is he willing to do to our country? Another thing I wrote, McCarthy will be one of the weakest speakers of all time after everything he's conceded. Luckily, he will do okay because not having a spine can make you pretty flexible. I also wrote, he sold his soul to the devil and even the devil didn't accept it. So, I, I just think this guy, this guy's going to have a busy, busy time ahead. And I'll just end with uh, what Russell Berman ended his Atlantic ar article with. He said here in quotes, All Kevin McCarthy had to do was sacrifice power and no small part of his dignity to get the speakership. So, I'll be back next week. Have a great rest of your weekend. You can find me on Apple Podcasts, iTunes, Spotify, YouTube, Podbean, all that jazz. Take care. Adios.